listening to the Soil Talk podcast. I am your host, Tim Mundorf, Nutrient Management Lead with Central Valley Ag. In Soil Talk, we will dive into managing soil fertility and applied nutrients while pursuing top yield. So welcome everyone to Soil Talk. Uh, we've got a little bit different topic today. Instead of talking about soil fertility or soil health, we're going to talk about data management and some of the changes going on in uh in the data that we're looking for from our growers, the data we need to make decisions, but also, you know, opportunities that are coming up uh, along the lines of traceability. So, Aaron, I know you've done a lot with data collection for doing things like the uh, looking at the carbon markets or carbon intensity. How is how have those two pieces kind of changed what we're doing with data management? I think what's exciting today is that, you know, when you look at it in the past year, what we've been using data for has really been centered around navig- helping navigate kind of next year's field decisions. You know, we, we create prescription maps based on historical data that we collect, whether it's through grid or zone sampling and samples we take, uh, you know, relying upon past year's yield history to kind of help navigate some of your decisions. And today it's really kind of taking the next step or the next evolution of this data. And it's really trying to use it to help drive more value to operation. And we're seeing these opportunities coming around with the carbon market, you know, the necessity for accurate data collection for a program like that, as well as just kind of proving what you have in your bin around maybe some of the sustainable grain or low carbon grain opportunities that that we'll talk about a little bit later. So uh, again, you know, that, that, that age old question is, what do I, what's the value of my data? You know, we, we, we go back 10 to 15 years and you would walk into a farmer's shed or into his office and you would just see reams of notebooks stacked on a shelf next to each other with all those yield maps. Well, today it's, you know, we're starting to see those opportunities come around where again, we can get more value out of that data instead of just printing it off, sticking it in a notebook and putting it on a shelf and never be seen again. And today, instead of just you and I rambling on and on about how we try to use data, which for me, for the most part, it's printing it off and using it to start fires. But we've got uh, Matt Hess, the president and CEO of Field Reveal, which is the precision ag software that Central Valley Ag uses. So welcome to the show, Matt. Thank you. And talk to us a little bit about Field Reveal's um, experience working with data management, the data that you bring in, and what maybe some of the things you're seeing on the horizon as well. Yeah, so for those that probably aren't too familiar with Field Reveal, Field Reveal has been around since 1998 and got its start by really focusing on nitrogen management. And that's centered around diving into ways to do soil testing differently, meaning uh, testing every couple of years for nitrogen. Um, and then through its course of, of time, you know, it's, it's obviously enabled growers to be much more efficient with not only putting the products where they need to be, but as well as doing it as most cost effective, cost effectively as they can. Now, what's interesting is the way that it was developed and started 20 years ago by our founder, Glenn Hansen, as well as with the help of Dr. Franzen from NDSU, this, this whole thing is becoming um, very relevant again around nitrogen, meaning just like what Aaron was talking about into the carbon markets and into anything else that's potentially coming, nitrogen's got a big bullseye on its back. And because the way that we developed our platform years ago, 
we feel that it's the best position, you know, in the market, just the way that we handle the information and store the information. And it really starts with the consistency. Um, since 1998, we've classified and defined 12 unique zones from day one. And so all of a sudden now we've got piles of data that tells us what those zones results are by geography and allows us to then look at each one differently, not only for uh, inputs, nitrogen or seed or fertilizers, whatever, but anything else we might do in the future. So all of a sudden we've, we feel that to help the growers advance into the next, what I would say realm that's coming pretty quickly, as you talk about sustainability and ESG and carbon, this is going to be a, an interesting play where that data has now become more important than it ever has in the past. What I really like about your software platform, Matt, is, you know, it was originally built, uh, well, I should say we originally used it a lot for verberate fertilizer. So, of course, georeferencing was a huge part of it. So we could put the, you know, the right nutrients at the right rate and the right time and the right place, the, the whole 4R thing. But it just lends itself to traceability so well because we now have georeference where we've put these inputs in the field. We know exactly what field it is because the whole thing was georeferenced on GIS. It's made for, you know, certainly sub-meter and even now sub-inch accuracy. There's no question about where the nutrients went to. There's no question about how much grain came off this field. We can trace everything down to the acre. Now, that's probably a little more intense than what we need for most of our grain buyers, but we certainly can tell them what inputs went into this field because we're using georeferencing software to place it all. Yeah, that's... Um... That over time has really evolved, uh, meaning we, we go from doing just a single rate application, we go into doing a, a, a multi-variable application with multiple inputs, and now we get into doing the same there, but now we can, we've actually been able to understand because of that information you talk about, Tim, and understanding the, the history of those zones in our particular system that, that you guys you know use and offer to your growers, it now lends a, an opportunity back to what I was saying of, of even tweaking it that much more and able to get it down to a, you know, even a higher accuracy than probably most would expect. And that, and at the end of the day, I always come back to say, you know, you're not going to build a house and you're not going to build a building on a bad foundation. So why would you build your, this, the coming crop season off of a foundation that wasn't ready? And that's, that's truly where it really starts with. So Matt, we hear a lot of questions from growers when we talk about data, you know, this, this whole concept around data security, as well as what are you going to do with my data? You know, as, as a grower sitting, sitting on the other side of the table from, from you, what, why, what, what are the reasons you recommend to him or the reasons why that grower should share his data to a service like Field Reveal? Well, I think just like anything in, in not just probably this aspect, but anything in, in life in general, you're, the idea of sharing information would mean that you're going to get something back that's going to be meaningful at the, for whatever it is. And so whether we know it or not, we share a lot of information personally um, that we may or may not like, but at the end of the day, 
if it is enhancing something that that I'm looking to do, then that should be the number one value standpoint of why you'd want to share the information. So for example, we'll just keep it real simple, yield, you know, yield data. Why would they want to share yield data with CVA and field reveal? Well, the answer would be to keep uh, to keep one evolving and looking at you know how did that 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 crop perform that year? You know, did I get the right variety in the right areas in the field? Um, that's one thing to look at. Secondly, is to look at now I can use that data to then for the next um, application to do a crop removal that uh, we took, what we took off the field, at least we put that back on. So that's as simple as it can start, but then it gets into, well, what about understanding more ROI? Well, to get more ROI, we got to have that information in order to give them, you know, good um, things to look at to move forward. So essentially it, it just comes down to that. If they're looking to keep enhancing their operation year in and year out, I mean, look, the ag industry is not easy and we get one shot a year. We're not like um, other industries like Apple or, you know, Samsung or something where they can do things 12 months a year. You know, we get one shot and then every time that happens basically once a year. So the more information, that's really, to in my view, it's more important than ever since you only get technically one, you know, one shot. You know, I think another thing that growers have to be aware of is that, you know, what what type of data is being asked for? What type of data is needed for these type of programs? Um, you know, it's easy to think about, you know, if a, if a grower is asked for their data, you know, they're going to think I'm handing over the keys to the mansion kind of thing. You know, and that really isn't the case for these type of programs. You know, typically it's high level management information. You know, what did you do for tillage? What did you do for your nitrogen program? You know, really looking at, placement, timing, product type, rates, um, you know, basic yield information, you know, the, you know, the, the data is not going to really, for the cases of like these, these carbon programs or any grain opportunities, you know, they're not looking for trade names. They're not looking for financial information. It's just kind of that high level management information. So you can get a picture of what's really going on or, or what practices were really used in that field. So I think that's something that, you know, can always kind of be a little bit of, uh, intimidating is that when a grower hears uh, if if they could share their data, they always kind of seem to automatically jump of well, you want to know everything that I'm doing in my operation, and and I'm not comfortable with that because you know maybe I'm not comfortable with my neighbor or something like that knowing what I'm doing. And, and like I said, it's not it's not that level of detail. It's a little bit higher level, thirty thousand view, just to really kind of see what agronomic practices were performed relative to a bushel of grain or a ton of carbon being produced in that field. 100% agree with you, Aaron, for sure. I mean, it's thing I would add to that is, um, yeah, I, I would say as soon as somebody figures or feels like they're something's being used against them, then that's probably the right to say, yeah, I, I, I get a little cautious with that. But, but to your point, um, yeah, it, it, there's nothing that is in, intended for for harm with it. Uh, there's a lot of speculation, and I think that's what, to me, having the right partner like CVA for the growers um, to work through that from that you know that that independent um, standpoint. And I think what I think was really important too that partnership side is 
uh, we're it's moving. It's moving fast. And you know, we do we you know we spend our time. You spend your time in in in, in your lanes, and Tim's in his lanes, and I'm in my lanes. And man, it's it's tough to keep up in just your own lane. And so now you take your expertise to your customers. Now all of a sudden, you know, you're giving them everything that you're, you know, paying attention to day in and day out and the opportunity. I think, I think too, is you're not going to bring them something that's going to jeopardize their business. It's just not going to happen. Aaron and I actually crash into each other's lanes all the time, but, uh, <laughs> but other than that, you're right, Matt. So, <laughs> Matt, I want to go back and talk a little bit about um, nitrogen. You started off with that. Um, you know, Aaron and I have been working on this whole carbon side for a year and a half, Aaron more than I. But one thing we realized early is that nitrogen management is probably more important or at least as important as anything we would do with tillage and cover crop. We play around with tillage and cover crop and maybe see if we could sequester or reduce emissions of a three quarters of a ton of carbon dioxide. Well, since nitrous oxide is 300 times more potent of a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide, that's the equivalent of reducing nitrous oxide emissions by five pounds. So if we can do a better job managing nitrogen, there's some huge opportunities, uh, both in these carbon markets and the carbon intensity of grain, um, besides the facts, the things we run around with water quality issues with nitrogen. So how can Field Reveal and other you know, data platforms like it help us manage nitrogen better? Yeah, and you're also running into regulations already too, right? Yeah, we are. We've got a couple of uh, natural resource districts that will require our growers to not apply um, any nitrogen ahead of November 1. Some of them won't allow any nitrogen before March 1. And then pre-plant nitrogen can be limited to 50 to 80 pounds. Uh, they can go higher if they use the inhibitor, but there's still 80 pounds is the, the max. And then any subsequent applications limited to only 80 pounds. So a lot of our guys are being forced into a two or three pass system. So there's the, there's how this all kind of starts tying together with what you started with and what you just ended there. And that's the fact of there's more and more regulations coming and there's, there's more, whatever you want to call it, this is just going to happen over time. Now the question is, do we want to help shape that or do we want it shaped for us? And that's where it starts coming back that the better information that we've got today to take this of somebody to show them, no, 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 we're not, what you're hearing is not what this is. Here's how we do it. We've already been promoting to go from a single pass to a double or a triple pass, whatever it is. Um, no, we already do, you know, this practice this way. You know, I think that ties back to, you know, the field reveal system and, and the nitrogen piece. So when, when you do one application of nitrogen on one yield goal, you know there's low, medium, and high environments in, in your fields. That's that's probably probably a 99% fact. I mean, I haven't seen a field yet that doesn't have variability. But then you also have the the different soil characteristics. And I want I don't want that to be missed. There's a lot of talk about soil types and when that all came together. Well, here's the interesting thing. If I if I recall in in, in CBA's area geography there's been a lot of land forming land leveling that's been done and so when you do that you've changed characteristics and so our 
our product MZB inside of Field Reveal is taking your elevation, which is a huge, even if you have 3% slope, you still got water that's running somewhere and it's taking uh, nutrients with it. And secondly, we take in um, imagery or yield data. And then thirdly, we take in uh, EC, electrical connectivity, or electrical uh, EM, which would be the, the opposite of just being an electromagnet, and understanding the characteristics, the profile down to 36 inches. And what that gives us the ability to do is, is to understand with the slope and the topography, as well as um, the, other, the other layers of information to build the right zone map, then it, then it goes into our classification. And all of a sudden, we're able to understand that because of the zero to 12 profile, the, the 12 to 36 profile, really how, how much the nutrients could move in that soil. And now we get really good at, for example, if a field ends up having six zones in it, we can dial it in so precise that each zone can have its, its own yield goal, plus it can have its own um, pounds of N per, per that zone. And that's, that's a big deal. That's really different than anything else. So now all of a sudden you take everything else, the split application and all those things, and then you tie it to this, you're really managing the nitrogen best you can. And to your point, um, the nitrous you know, oxide of 300 times, it will have a lot of attention already does. And, you know, the more that we can prove that we've already done the right practices and oh, by the way, to win, 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 because everybody's, you know, you're producing more or less. Yeah, you look at that nitrogen cost and how that's changed over the past few years. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, guys were talking about 25 cent a pound nitrogen. Now we're talking about a dollar a pound nitrogen. So, you know, it's not that hard to explain to a grower. You, you get a tough year where you've had a lot of loss. Well, the whole field doesn't turn yellow. It turns yellow in spots. That's giving you a clue that nitrogen could be managed differently as you go across your field. And like you said, you can't even talk about nitrogen without also talking about water almost in the same breath. Is water running away from that area of the field or is it running toward that area of the field? How likely is water to infiltrate in that area of the field? What's the water holding capacity of that area of the field? You've got a lot of things that happen just from the natural um, structure of that soil and that topography that affect nitrogen management and water management. And that's something we got to work with our growers on. Yeah, I got, uh, it's interesting. You're spot on, you know, the, I always like to say we, we usually try to get smarter each day. Um, we learn. Um, it's interesting. I still run into many comments of, well, I started doing variable years ago because I, I had too much nutrients over here and not enough here. And so, you know, I'm just moving it around. Well, then the, for some reason, in some areas, and actually in quite a few areas, they were trying to manage to get a yield map that was all one color, green. Well, I, if, you know, the assumption was, well, if I got a green yield map, that's saying I have maximized my opportunity. And it's, it's actually just opposite of that. You know, where we got, you should have a low, medium and high environment. You should have areas that are, are higher than, than the other areas. And, and what is happening there is, do you have the one yield goal you're probably your high producing areas, you're pulling them down on yield. It's trying, but there's just not enough nutrients there. 
And that's the importance of getting, you know, getting that part right. And that's, that's a game changer really um, because now you're, you're really maximizing what you could get out of that field. Yeah. And on the nitrogen management side, I think for a lot of years, what we end up doing is we just keep raising the rate until no areas in the field are yellow anymore. And that's worked with 25 and 30 cent a pound nitrogen, but it doesn't work so good with a dollar a pound nitrogen, nor does it work so well when it looks like we're going to have people willing to pay us premiums for higher nitrogen use efficiency, or I should say lower nitrogen per bushel. So if you've got an NUE of 0.7 and your neighbor's got an NUE of 1.1, so there's 1.1 pounds of nitrogen for every bushel of corn at your neighbor's place, but it only takes 0.7 pounds at your place. I think we're going to be able to capture additional value for you for each bushel of grain that you produce. And you get that because you have the data to help make that next decision. Exactly. If you don't have the data to prove it, and again, that's what I love about georeference data is I don't have to wonder, you know, where that product was applied. It's right there at that latitude and longitude, which lands in that field. We'll provide you a certificate for it and you can go sell your grain at a premium. So Tim, let's talk about that for a minute. And, and you know, you're, you're kind of alluded to a little bit how there could be these opportunities for, you know, this grain that is lower nitrogen use efficiency. Could you ex expand on that a little bit and kind of explain why would somebody be willing to pay a premium or pay extra, or why would that type of grain be sought after that, that use less nitrogen to be produced or maybe, you know, required less, less diesel to be grown or something like that. Could you explain what this might look like? Yeah. We'll uh, want our listeners to go get something to eat, maybe a couple of beers, a pillow, because it's going to take about four days, but uh, try to condense it a little bit. It, it all goes back to that whole ecosystems, marketing services. There's a ton of different things, whether it's water quality, whether it's energy use, whether it's greenhouse gas emissions, but probably the big winner right now or what looks like the most opportunity would be the potential in low carbon fuel standard um, dollars. Now, right now there's a model called GREET. I think it stands for greenhouse gas reduction in emissions and energy for transportation. And it's done by Department of Energy. Anyway, it'll give a score that'll show, you know, what the carbon intensity is of the corn, let's just say, but soybeans for renewable diesel or biodiesel will be the same thing. But since we're talking about nitrogen, let's talk about corn. They'll give you a score for, say, your corn that's going to an ethanol plant to be the feedstock for producing ethanol. And about two-thirds of that score right now for average Midwestern corn crop is the energy involved in the production and transportation and also carbon dioxide emissions in the production, transportation, nitrogen fertilizer, and in the nitrous oxide emissions from um, your field from that nitrogen fertilizer. So because of that, there's a huge opportunity for us to reduce the carbon intensity of ethanol oh, probably by about a third just by uh, changing how we manage our nitrogen if we can get very efficient in it. The challenge gets to be that right now California, which is the main driver in that, does not accept that variation in production practices, but as we look at other states bringing on these low-carbon fuel standards, we see some real opportunities that those states, especially 
crop and ethanol friendly states like Iowa, Nebraska, Minnesota, Kansas, Missouri, um, they're going to work that in that growers can get paid for lower carbon intensity corn. Yeah, so what's really cool is that, you know, that's one market segment where we think there's a lot of opportunity. But then again, there's another segment with this whole sustainable grain concept where, you know, maybe not as broad of acres as what uh, the low carbon fuel standard would draw from just because it's a, you know, a fuel versus a, a food corn market segment. Uh, and, you know, with that in the sustainable corn area or sustainable grain area, you know, you kind of have to abide by the rules of a food corn, growing food corn. Um, but, you know, we're seeing, especially thanks to COVID, we're seeing more consumers, especially that millennial generation younger, that are starting to, to make their buying decision be influenced by, was this produce sustainable? And what's really cool is that you see some of the marketing research that's out there that's just starting to get published. And they're showing that, you know, again, these consumers, not just this millennial group, but just kind of across all, all uh, age ranges of consumers, they're willing to spend more, um, you know, at the grocery store, at the at the at Walmart retailer, whatever it is, to purchase these products. And that's another thing too. Speaking of Walmart, is we're not just talking about food here. You know, we're talking about other consumable products. Um, you know, your your personal care type of products. So again, this is a, another opportunity where um, you know we're seeing this market kind of start to develop. It's really early. We haven't necessarily seen a lot of of grain get traded in this space. But again, consumers are starting to ask for this product. They're willing to pay for it. But again, the data is what's the critical background here because how do you prove something is sustainable? Well, there's no test that you can go do. This isn't like a GMO versus non-GMO issue where there's situation where there's a physical test you can go test that grain if it if there's genetic material present there or not. The data is going to be critical to be able to prove that these grains are what they are um, to really increase the confidence of the buyer that they're actually buying that type of product. Yeah, that's a good point, Aaron. You know, when it comes back to, okay, what's the premium for your grain? And you say, someone says, well, what's your, what's your carbon intensity score? And you say, I don't know. Well, guess what the premium is for? I don't know. It's a round number. But if you've got the data behind it to prove what yours is, now you're at the top of the food chain for demanding a premium. You know, even if yours isn't the best, you're still able to prove what it is. So you've got an opportunity for a premium. That's the whole reason we're having this conversation today is we need to start gathering this data so we can prove where you're at on the food chain as far as is, you know, is your corn, is your wheat, high carbon intensity or low carbon intensity. You know, we know some things that are key to that, nitrogen management, cover crops, reduced tillage, but you don't have to do all of them. The biggest thing you have to do right now is collect the data so you can prove that you have something. Because I don't know is still worth nothing. Yeah, you know, you, you always kind of get the the feedback from a grower of, okay, if I'm going to do all this data collection and data management, it's going to take extra time. You know, and even look back, even today, you still see a few, but, you know, rewind five to 10 years. And how many combines had yield monitors equipped with them that didn't hit, even have them turned on or weren't actually doing collection? You know, so it's things like that where, again, you maybe in the past you weren't really looking at the data side as using it to apply to your operation, say again through you know variable rate application or whatever it is, or making prescription maps. Uh, but this again, this is another opportunity where uh, this data is going to have additional value. Where 
you know, it could deliver you another you know, whatever 10 cent premium, 25 cent premium, whatever that might be, you know, to that to that bushel of grain that you're already growing. So, you know, to me, I, I think it's kind of a small price to pay to, to spend that extra time to be able to do a good job managing your data uh, and, and to, to be able to reward you with these programs that hopefully will come down the road. You know, Aaron and Tim, the, the proof in the pudding here is that this big locomotive is long gone out of the train station. It is not coming back, meaning these markets that are that are on the horizon will will happen. And it goes back to what you were saying with with um, the different generations that are looking for different things. I mean, look, the Gen Zs after millennials, they know nothing um, other than they've had Internet their whole life. I think about that. I'm a Gen X. I've had Internet and no Internet. And that's that's a big deal of being a digital native or a digital immigrant. And it's it's not bad. It's just it's just the you know human nature. And so when you when you come back to that value of that data, the premiums or the tiers or whatever's going to happen, it's not going to be okay. We can talk about like high protein wheat. And there's probably certain things that will help get higher protein. But now all of a sudden, if you've got different premiums and tiers of, okay, did you do this, this, and this, including tillage or not, or whatever it is, all of a sudden that's going to start putting you into different opportunities of what that premium's worth. And that's going to be the power of the information coming back. And then lastly, the, the, the proof in the pudding again too is, look at organic. Organic is a conversation that people are willing to pay more for because it's organically grown. And, and this will happen in the low carbon. Um, all you got to do is look at what, what uh, food grade products are made. Let's just pick on the Kellogg's corn flakes, for example. If you want to see what Kellogg's is saying for sustainability and ESG, just look it up on the internet. Um, and what that means is at some point, I don't, I don't go to the casino, but if I was a betting man, I would say we, in a short period of time, will see, um, low carbon labels on products at the grocery store. And in order for it to get that label, they're going to need a whole lot of information for it. Yeah. You make some great points, Matt. You know, I, I think if you were to go in and read, maybe you're, maybe you somebody you know is interested in buying stock. You know, you go and you do your research of all these companies. You know, I would, if I were a betting man, I would, I would put good money down saying that you could look at any of these food or consumer good companies, and practically every single one of them, if not all of them, are going to have some discussion within their materials about sustainability. It is that important to these companies. They're really focusing on it. Um, you know, second point I have is, you know, I always get that question, you know, around kind of the sustainability space, whether it's carbon or maybe on this grain side, which is starting to emerge. Is this for real? Is this going to stick around? You know, some people think back to the Chicago climate exchange days 15 to 20 years ago, and that wasn't sustainable, no pun intended. But, you know, my response to them always is that, Yes, I believe it is because consumers are asking for it. When we have that public demand, consumer asks for it. Um, typically, things like that stick and, and are here for the long haul. So, um, and quite frankly, when it comes to these these markets coming along, and you know, we talked about how it's really in the infancy of these low carbon or sustainable grain markets coming to fruition. Um, but 
to put it bluntly, the grower that has their ducks lined up in a row, they have the deepest, most complete data set in their hands. Those are the type of growers that are going to be able to leverage these opportunities first. So, you know, for, for that grower that is kind of looking ahead, what's the next opportunity that I can take advantage of within my operation? Having your data lined up and, and as complete as possible is definitely going to give you a, a leading edge against some of some of your peers when it comes to these type of markets. Um, Tim and I are nodding our head like like the podcast people can see us, but 100% agree. <laughs> yeah, the one thing I'll throw in there, and something you and I have talked about in the past, is also we we need good data. You know, if your if your yield monitor's off by 15 bushel and it's showing 15 bushel uh, low. And you get to the end of the year and you want to sell you know, however many thousand bushels, but but the you know with the data we got from the combine says you didn't produce that many, well, you're not gonna be able to sell that many. Same thing on the nitrogen side. You know, we get a lot of guys that you know maybe put nitrogen down with their sprayer and their pre-emerge as a weed and feed. And they say, Well, my nitrogen is my carrier. Well, a carrier don't cut it. I need to know how many gallons of UAN you applied. Um, so that's something we need to do is make sure it, our data going in is not garbage because garbage going in is just going to give us junk coming out that we cannot sell. If we're going to sell this data or, or ask for a premium for it, it needs to be good. It needs to be accurate. Yeah, I think, you know, kind of the, to put a bow on everything, you know, when it comes to data, it can be this big, scary monster that a lot of people don't want to face. And I guess I just want to you know, really reiterate that. That here at CVA, you know, with the help of Matt and Field Reveal, you know, we've got the capabilities, we've got the people in place to help you do the management of this, whether it's getting that data in or making sense of it, helping you make those decisions. I mean, we're also committed to helping develop these grain opportunities. You know, that's something Tim and I are both passionate about, as well as our, you know, our grain department. Um, so don't feel like this whole this whole data thing and trying to figure out what do I have to do now that you have to take go down this road on your own. Like I said, with with the resources you have between CBA and Field Reveal, you know this is something where we can make this a seamless process, get that data into a format where it's ready to go, and then once we have these opportunities developed, you know that's our job at CBA is to bring those opportunities to you. I think that pretty well covers it. Any final comments from anybody? Yeah, um, just uh, two comments for me, uh, building on Aaron's point there. Uh, treat the data as important, as as important as any input you purchase. Uh, and then secondly, yeah, you can get overwhelmed real quick. And absolutely, CVA has got the right mentality and the right personnel on staff. And the other thing I hear is people think, well, I'm so far behind. No, you're not. You're, you're not. Um, it might feel like it, but you're not. And so getting started now is just as good as, as if it was, you know, 10 years ago. So, um, don't, you know, bottom line is it's, it can be overwhelming, but just, you know, take a step at a time. Yeah. Only thing I want to touch on is, you know, some growers, all they want to do is grow number two yellow corn and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, if that's your, if that's what works for your operation and it works well, don't fix what's not broken. Um, but for that grower that's looking for opportunities, how can I generate some additional revenue? I'm willing to to kind of do, kind of do you know provide a little time into something over here to try to develop another opportunity. 
I think this is a place where if you can, again, get that data into a position, into a format that it's it's a nice, complete data set, you know, work with us and express interest in these, that you want to be involved in these kind of programs. I feel really confident and I'm really excited about what these markets could look like as they develop. And, and you know, going back to what Matt said, I don't think it's a matter of if, I think it's a matter of when. And quite honestly, I, I believe that the when is a lot sooner than what we originally anticipated. So uh, it's an exciting time to see these kind of these things develop and and really responding to what the consumer is asking for. You know, looking at how can we provide value to the food chain um, through the practices you're already doing is a really exciting thing. All right. Well, thanks, Matt, for joining us here this uh, this month on Soil Talk. And thank you to our listeners to for listening to Soil Talk. We hope you got some good information out of this. and We look forward to you joining us again. Thank you for joining us on Soil Talk. If you'd like to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at ACS by CBA. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Central Valley Ag. If you'd like more information, visit cbacoop.com and you can see our agronomy focus blog series every other Thursday. With Soil Talk, this is Mick Godekin and Tim Mundorf.